Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Erica Tybersky. Erica, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, looking forward to this conversation. In this episode, Erica is going to share her an entrepreneurial journey, how she got to where she is today. And then we're going to chat about how she co-founded and launched Sanguina, which is a health tech company that creates diagnostic and wellness tools for at-home testing or diagnostics, if you will. She's going to explain what all that means, but they focus on anemia care, and she'll explain what that is. If you want to receive more information about the How of Business, including the show notes page for this episode, or to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, just text BIZ, B-I-Z, to 772-837-5700 or visit thehowofbusiness.com. So let me tell you a little bit more about Erica. Erica Tybersky is the CEO and co-founder of Sanguina, and she also has a, a biomedical engineering background. Erica and her then partners are just two, or her then partner, or it's still a partner, are just two of the more than 1.62 billion people worldwide who struggle with anemia, which is the most common blood disorder. I didn't know that until I started doing the research. And in 2014, she launched Sanguina, which as I mentioned, is a health tech company that creates diagnostics and wellness tools for at-home testing. So their battles with anemia inspired them to develop affordable and accessible products for regular anemia screening so that people like them could be proactive about their health. Erica Tybersky lives in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And so once again, Erica, welcome to the show. Thank you. All right, so I'd like to start where we usually started these conversations, which is at the beginning. If I got it right, you studied and graduated as a biomedical engineer. And so, and then you went into that field. So obviously early on at some point, you decided this is what you wanted to do for, for a career. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, the story goes back a bit further than college. Um, as a kid, I had a few encounters with iron deficiency anemia. And mm. I remember, you know, some days I just feel dizzy. Um, on bad days, I would feel dizzy, start to see the stars, knowing I was going to pass out, then wow. proceed to pass out, <laughs> then see the classmates and a frantic teacher over me, um, get a medical write-up, leave school, get checked out at a hospital, and then all to find out I had had low iron. So I was quite jealous, actually, of diabetics who could check blood sugar at home and not right. have to go through this embarrassing and long process as, you know, in the preteen years. Uh, I also realized I had a keen interest in medical devices at that point. Hmm. Um, I remember a friend of mine in seventh grade having an accident and examining an x-ray of her ankle when she had uh, screws put into it during a surgery to repair. And since then, I was hooked, if you will. Um, <laughs> it just fascinated I you. <laughs> I know it wasn't gross to me. I, uh, I focused in on science and math and eventually went to a technical high school um, in Key Biscayne, Florida. Oh, wow. I, yeah. I, right I think I know what school that is. What, what is the name of that school? It's Mast Academy. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend whose son is teaching there now. I grew up in South Florida, and so I'm familiar with that school. Great school. That's a unique opportunity, a unique environment there that you got to experience. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the process of getting in and specifically having this motivation early on was all the more reason I 
found out about the school, researched and learned about it. Um, it led to me getting into Georgia Tech and I stayed laser focused on biomedical engineering. And as a fun fact, when it, when it was a trend to change your major, major, I actually didn't end up changing majors in school the whole time. Wow. Yeah, that, that's, that is rare these days. So, you know, I, I'm somewhat familiar, like my sister has struggled with it, but I think that most people don't realize like we think anemia is something that results from, you know, poor eating or lack of, of food, you know, people in poor countries, but that's not true. So can you explain that a little bit to me that, that it's something it seems to me, or it sounds like hereditary to some degree, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So to take an even bigger um, picture, as you mentioned, anemia affects 1.62 billion people. And there are many different reasons why someone could be anemic. It, coexist with many other diseases um, and issues going on. And to an extent, you can have nutritional deficiency anemia, which is where I was. So it can um, somewhat be helped by what you eat and, and taking supplementation. So that that is actually true for part of a segment, but there are many other reasons. So there are genetic conditions, there are predispositions on how well your body can actually absorb the iron. So there are some people that can just take iron and take iron and, um, you know, it's, it's not the treatment for them. So I hear about journeys about how um, or what supplementation eventually ends up working. And it's a, there are very many options to, to figure this out. So um, I am one snapshot of one story. And one of my co-founders, Rob, has a totally different story um, with a genetic condition that um, actually has him anemic all the time. So it's too broad to go into here, but um, you know, everybody's story can be different and um, I can't assume anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. Okay, so back when you were in college and as you started your career, did you already have aspirations that you would start your own business one day? I didn't actually. In uh, college, I did biomedical research with a neurological focus of all places. So I was working with neurons plated on microelectrode arrays, and I was also working um, with some research in ALS, which is totally different. Um, I began work in senior design back on anemia. So at the time, the senior design program gave students prompts and the prompt that I was shown was create an anemia test for low resource settings. And it just brought me all back from what hmm. I experienced in, as a child and, and the reason I got into things. So I had already started thinking about going into industry and getting into neurology. Um, but this one prompt came my way. Uh, at the time, you were paired up by asking for what project you wanted to work on. We were lucky enough to get this project with the rest of my group. Um, and I only then found out that my teacher supervisor would be Wilbur Lamb, who eventually became a, a co-founder. Uh, so he's a hematologist oncologist at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, also a professor in biomedical engineering at Georgia Tech and Emory University. And the, the rest, as you say, is history on mm -hmm. how I got back to anemia. Yeah. And so what happens eventually, was it kind of a progression of these relationships and this thought that led to then, all right, let's, let's launch a business to actually produce a device, to make a device to help in this area? Or was there something that happened specifically that led you to launching the business? Mm -hmm. As a student in this program, we went through 30 or 40 different ideas for anemia tests. And we took it very seriously. We, we looked at, you know, specifically the prompt we had was low resource settings, but we were looking for any sort of simple test. Um, we went through 30 different ideas. And at the end of the year, so this is a year long project, we had first proof of concept for the first 
idea around a Nemo check, um, which we'll get into. Uh, but this was actually our color-based uh, technology as a single-use disposable. And so we finished our senior year with proof of concept. Mm. And after graduating, I had an option to go into industry or to have a summer internship with Wilbur Lamb and figure out if the if the product or idea had legs. Um, and so I did end up taking that summer internship and it led to proof of concept, preclinical testing. We ended up getting some funding to continue my path on this. And, you know, a lot of this was having the right mentor, supervisor, mm -hmm. partner at the right time. And the belief that someone like me, an undergrad coming out of school could take this on. So yeah. I'm very grateful for that team that we have. Um, so I'll pause there. I'm sure. Yeah, but, but you, you, nonetheless, you went and took a job and doing research, if I, if I understood correctly, right? I, I took a job doing research, but I was allowed to work on this. So I the see. idea was, let's see if this senior design project has legs. And okay. uh, all the studies we did were linked to that proof of concept we graduated with. Okay. All right. So what, what then was it getting funding or first round funding that was the trigger to say, okay, let's go and do this or what happens next? Funding was very important. So coming out of the academic world, and again, with leadership from someone who has this professorship role, we learned a lot about grants um, and how in the academic setting, they're fairly normal on how right. you fund different research projects. So we ended up applying for a few local grants during that summer internship, and we're lucky enough to secure them in, on the Georgia level. Uh, one of our first funding agencies was Georgia Research Alliance. We're very happy to have them along the whole time. Um, and also won a couple local prizes in this. So, you know, knowing that process was helpful. And we actually lived on grants for a very long time. Um, you mentioned that we funded, we started the company in 2014. And yep. to be quite honest, uh, there were a few grants that we wanted to go for that required a small business. So we created okay. a company to be eligible to apply for these small business grants through the National Institutes of Health and National Science Foundation. And we're able to continue funding ourselves from there. Mm -hmm. um, before we took any private investment, we had raised about two million in grant funding, and to date, we've um, raised and used about three and a half million um, in okay. non-dilutive grant funding. When did it? When did it hit you, Erica? That wait a second, I'm I'm uh, I'm an entrepreneur now, not just a, a research uh, student or graduate. When when did that hit you? When did that transition happen? It, it did take some time. So I think, you know, in 2014, we were still very much in development mode and um, testing. So one of the things I should also mention is we, we do put uh, scientific testing and clinical testing rigor at the forefront. So given some of our connections, again, very fortunate to be in the position, we constantly test and um, are able to iterate with real patient data. So that's been a big part of our story. And so I found that I was learning so much outside of BME or biomedical engineering. I was perform I was designing clinical testing experiments. I was um, going back and designing, um, you know, essentially R and D activities. But at the same time, what we started to realize was, you know, in acquiring grants, I was learning how to fund a team and um, eventually started pitching. So I think it was actually during a pitch one time, hmm. I came in thinking it was a talk. So <laughs> in academic <laughs> world, right, it's it's a talk that you give to people. And by the end, someone said, well, we really enjoyed your pitch. And I said, oh, I guess I'm doing <laughs> I that I guess now. it was a pitch. <laughs> 
So now uh, this kind of just jump forward for a moment, because I'm curious, part of this question is where, where, what role do you play as CEO? Obviously, is it a traditional CEO role or are you still kind of in the lab? Because those things, you can't do it all now. And obviously you have partners, but tell me about how you decided to navigate. I'm going to focus in this area now as the business is growing. Yes. So around 2017, that was our um, first FDA clearance. I think I had more of a role in testing and regulatory mm -hmm. and uh, really interfacing with that part of the team. But once we got that, I, the time was to expand the company and expand the teams. And I, I could no longer do anything, um, everything, I should say. You, you can right. do anything. You can't do everything. Right. And so that realization came on. Uh, today, I am very much more in a CEO role. We've expanded so much um, in the past couple of years. We went from a group of maybe five people to around 20 now between part-time and full-time people that help us out. And a good part of my time is people management, keeping people motivated and inspired. It's something that's come up in the last year for me, uh, but it's very important. Uh, so maintaining company culture and making sure everyone understands the mission and is equally as excited about it is something I'm focusing on, as well as traditional um, roles like fundraising and operations management. So it's strange even for me to say right now, but we have old departments. <laughs> yeah. uh, whereas, you know, just, just a few months ago, it feels like uh, it was still just the founding team. So I have right. a marketing and creative department. I have HR, I have legal I have an R&D department and soon we're going to be building our biz dev and operations department. So I'll be um, not doing everything. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. How was that, you know, often when with people like with your background, technical, scientific research, where, where you thrive and, and where you focused as we've been talking about was, you know, in that research, heads down, doing the work. And now you have to do CEO level work. How did you feel about that transition? And it seems like obviously you're embracing it, but but tell me about that and think about it from the perspective of somebody else who might be listening, who's who's maybe thinking about that same transition. Yeah, I'm assuming I, the mentorship that you had helped with that and people that you've brought on board have helped you with the more business side of things as well, right? Absolutely. If we go back to the, the founding team, right, Wilbur and a few other local people helped me out very early on and also being a woman in this position, I never felt as though I shouldn't be there. So I was mm, given great. this mentality very early on that um, you you know this product the best because you've had this heads down approach in the technology and and the other inventors are the same way. We've kept the inventors on these on these teams and involved very much in research and development. We know them front and back. And what I found the difference is for some people is just getting the communication right. If you're able to talk about what's going on in your head and talk about it and be transparent about it and make other people excited, then you can be the CEO as well. You, you know the product front and back. So sticking to that, very important in the scientific and clinical fields. Mm -hmm. All right, where did the name come from? I'm curious. <laughs> uh, because anemia affects so many different people, we actually searched for weeks on a name related to anemia or blood and many were taken. So we were yeah. trying to go for something unique and Anemia is just such a big problem. We, we landed on Sanguina uh, for the company because it means blood. It's uh, derived from the word blood in several romantic languages. Mm. And in English, Sanguina also has uh, roots in the word sanguine mm -hmm. to mean um, red in one case, but also optimistic or cheerful. Um, so together, 
the name the names were available uh, for both our products and our company and the aspects work to capture the spirit of our company to provide tools for a more optimistic look at your health and wellness yeah i love that yeah the, the, the reason i'm always curious about names is as you as you said it's so hard to find a name anymore that's not taken and that you can trademark and so forth so it, it is a challenge and so i'm always curious and and i right. i should have gotten we it right away get- but Ahead, we sorry. also we also get um, people confused with sangria and and I'm okay ah. with that association. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a red color combination there, although it could be white sangria. But but yeah, so so in Spanish, uh, blood is sangre. So that, I can mm-hmm. see that now. Love it. Thank you. All right, yeah. as, as we before we segue, I'm always curious now that you have been an entrepreneur is what I would call you. Certainly a business owner. What does it do for you? What do you enjoy about being an entrepreneur? Across the journey, I've really liked being able to learn about things. So I, you know, by, even as a student, um, there was a lot of self-teaching involved in my um, academic career. And having the time to do that is, is always, it's hard to do in continuing education. But as an entrepreneur, I think it's part of your job, especially early on, to learn about all of these things. You know, I talked about expanding the team, but there's still a learning curve in understanding what exactly you need for your company. So understanding a little bit about regulatory, in my case, uh, marketing and creative, what what they do, what what your needs are. It was enjoyable to have that time and really be able to dive into something brand new. It's, you know, not always for the faint of heart, but um, I tend to go into things fearlessly and learn about them. And, you know, if I'm not good at it, at least I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you you've obviously always been a very curious person, and you you've enjoyed the challenge, and you feel like as an entrepreneur you have some freedoms to explore those things that you're curious about. Is that fair? Oh yeah, every yeah. day you learn something every day. Yeah. All right, let's let's start diving in a bit more, and and let's let's do, and perhaps I should have started with this, but let's explain a little bit more about what the product is. And you and I chatted a little bit before we started recording. There was an original device you've pivoted for various reasons, including COVID and the changing market. And so introduce for me, if you would, the current solution that you offer into this market. Yes, our product available for you today is called Anemocheck Mobile. It's an anemia management smartphone application. Um, Simple enough, you download from the app store and it allows you to input information about supplements that you're taking for nutritional deficiency anemia, your mood, and also gives you an estimate of your hemoglobin levels by taking a picture of your fingernail beds. So this is um, something that people that are managing nutritional deficiency anemia are constantly concerned about, and it is available now. Um, We do have a couple other products that use totally different technology, but um, are still in the anemia management and care platform and space. Um, I'd be happy to go into those, but we're we're very excited about the star of the show, Anemocheck Mobile. Absolutely. So the the picture of the fingernail. Explain to me in in layman's terms why my fingernail tells me about my anemic situation or condition. Sure. So in old school medicine, um, it's not uncommon for a physician to simply look at a patient and say you're pale. Um, hemoglobin is what makes our blood red, and so. In the development of this uh, device, we looked at several different areas on the body that show showcase paleness or pallor well. We looked at places like uh, palmar creases to even eyelids. 
um, but fell on nail beds because they were a lot easier to hone in on and easier for a user to capture an image of. Um, interestingly enough, the color underneath your nail beds is um, the primary contributor here is hemoglobin. Um, there's very few melanocytes which contribute to skin tone. Um, so you're really getting a basically a quantified look at paleness of your nail beds. And, and nail buds is the 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 deepest part, the part closest to the finger. Is that was that where we're talking about that area there? Uh, yeah. So the um, the pink color that you see yeah. underneath yeah. the nail bed. Um, and so if I've got fingernail polish, I need to remove that first and then take the picture. I'm assuming, right? Oh yes, we need yeah. you to remove your nail polish so we can see your beautiful nail bed. <laughs> got it. <laughs> so this has got to be in part this is possible now because of how good a camera is on my phone that it takes a good enough image for then your algorithm to interpret that image is that correct yeah we um we wear very powerful devices and carry um more powerful devices in our pocket than were used to take to the moon just a few decades ago amazing okay all right so so that's the solution and i'm using it uh this is because i suffer or i'm challenged with anemia and I'm using this periodically, like you mentioned before, like someone might use a testis if I'm a diabetic to measure a blood sugar level. So similarly, this gives me the input that I need then to take some kind of action related to my health. Is that correct? Right. It's a wellness tool that can be used to support um, you if you're working with a physician, um, if you're not. We want to get people engaged in this to have a more proactive look at their health. So it wouldn't necessarily replace your physician, um, but support you and your physician in helping make decisions, right? So we're interested in, in engaging people a little bit more and doing that in a highly accessible way um, lowers that barrier to entry. Um, mm -hmm. You know, one thing with anemia, it, it can cause pretty severe side effects, but for the vast majority of people, it's... Um, minor side effects, but as they build over time, they really contribute to quality of life. And um, it's just a personal <laughs> vendetta of mine is I really hate the get sick and then get care model. Right. I really like to um, have people more engaged. And, you know, the U.S., there's likely many uh, women specifically that are facing iron deficiency anemia or nutritional deficiency anemia, and they're just living off of, you know, 10 cups of coffee a day. Uh, so, you know, really understanding that you're tired and your fatigue and your quality of life is lower um, because of anemia and, and really uh, nailing that in. So I think there's an educational piece along with this and engaging people to be a little bit more proactive. Um, and then for people that already know about anemia, there is there's definitely value in helping connect some dots in between doctor's appointments. Um, there's also some exciting releases we'll have in the future on how we can work with lab results as well as um, the app in order to create personalized uh, apps for the individuals. So well, you'll have to catch up with me a little bit later Absolutely. on one of those exciting updates. Absolutely. All right. Since we're on this topic, I want to jump forward to how you go to market and how you get the product out there. Obviously, this is a this is a solution that I, as the as the consumer, need to find and download myself. Uh, but I'm curious as to for this type of product, how you've gone to market. Do you are you also appealing to physicians to recommend it, or is it purely there to expecting the public to find it who needs it? Tell me a little bit about that strategy and how you're going to market. Sure. So I'm a a believer that. 
the people that are asking for it are likely your first adopters. <laughs> so in, in all of the requests we've had, it's been a combination of physicians and people that are curious about their health or people that know what's going on. So we have those three buckets that we are looking to focus on very early. Um, anemia affects, like we said, many people, but having that focus early on first in market is gonna be important. Um, you know, we are familiar that many of these users are finding us through online searches. So it will be a lot of uh, digital presence and social presence. One of the missions of the company is to provide accessible tools. And part of that access is understanding they're there. So there is this education piece and, and why it's important and how to use it appropriately and, and how to better, how to, how to use it for you. So that is all part of the plan. Okay. So as a consumer, as the patient, I'm ideally going to be searching for these types of solutions online, find you that way. There might be some additional marketing, but of course, you know, there's limited budgets. I'm curious a little bit more as to how you're getting to the physicians to get them to recommend that typically in that industry, I have, you know, limited knowledge, but you've got direct salespeople that are calling into those practices. I'm curious as to how you're getting in front of those people, the physicians who are going to recommend this. Sure. So we're seeing a good mix of um, physicians that are a bit more progressive. So we don't intend on having a traditional sales force at this point in time. Uh, we are really looking at digital marketing and all the connections we've made. So again, along that whole entrepreneurial journey, having such a strong and connected team in both clinical and technical expertise such so early on, we've we've built a whole network and web of, of connections. You know, we've mm -hmm. One of the benefits we've had um, with some of our grants is also the connection to right. the National Institutes of Health, the National Science Foundation, and all of their networks as well. We've also had several conversations with FDA, and this also goes beyond the U.S. We've had you know, many conversations in ministries of health overseas, and those connections are probably the most valuable. And I guess as, as a salesperson would say, the, the warm and hot leads <laughs> because uh, they already know about us and they already want us. So we actually have a lot of um, inbounds coming in on how to structure deals around getting this out in bulk, uh, which hopefully we'll be able to talk about even more in the future. Yeah. Okay. All right. That makes sense. That, that makes sense. This is Henry Lopez, briefly pausing this episode to invite you to schedule a free coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business plans and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner myself, I understand the challenges you're experiencing and often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. Whether it's getting started with your first business or growing and maybe exiting your existing small business, I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching consultation, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. Take that next step today towards finally realizing your business ownership dreams. I look forward to speaking with you soon. All right. Um, you talked about some of the initial funding. I think if I got it right, you've, you've gotten up to three and a half million in different rounds of funding. Uh, in the, grants. And grants, exactly. Yeah. So we have, uh, we have also done a seed round that we closed in July of 2020 for 2.2 yep. million. So all that together, I guess we have just around five and a half million. Fantastic. Is the, is the company profitable yet? No. So we are um, just launched <laughs> and the goal for us is to prove the model, right? So we're going to 
provide the product to users, have the users really drive what we do next. Um, and the idea is to have this be free at the front end. And as we add features and more capabilities that can connect even more to the clinical landscape, um, there'll probably be a premium or subscription model with this app. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Are there others out there that you're competing against for similar products? Oh, yes. Uh, there are many people interested in anemia. There's, um, and, and specifically in the U.S., there's a, a model that is very successful right now with uh, take a test home, provide your sample and mail it back in. There are many companies doing that right now. They don't, they don't do it specifically for total hemoglobin to my knowledge. So we're, we have a little bit of a unique biomarker. Um, there's also a lot of interest in non-invasive hemoglobin determination. There's currently only a couple products um, in clinical use for non-invasive hemoglobin and they use uh, oximetry with a finger sleeve, very similar to blood oxygen. Um, and they, they are technically, I guess, competing with the same biomarker, but I guess it's a combination of um, people competing in the same channels to get direct to consumer and provide that very simple access. And then you have highly clinical um, situations as well. So it spans quite a bit. So back when you were first developing this idea, there were others that were that had a solution that was non-invasive that that uh, were similar products, or was there nothing on the market then to compare to what you were developing? The non-invasive technologies on the market are uh, machines, if you will, okay. that, that live in hospitals. And so I got to go somewhere to a lab or yeah. a, you know a pharmacy or whatever the case might be to actually conduct a test. That's it's, right. They're usually housed in ICUs and ERs and you know pretty linked to tertiary hospitals. Okay. Um, the big difference is same parameter, but access right in your pocket. And that was unique, and that's where you identified an opportunity in the market, and and that's why you focused in this area. Absolutely, there's one of one of the partners that joined our company. His name's Rob Menino. Has more of a computational background. I met him a few years after forming, or I knew him right at the time we formed the company, and allowed him the time to finish his PhD, right? We want to make sure he finishes up. <laughs> and after he finished, we had him join the company. He's the co-inventor driver behind uh, NemoCheck Mobile. And the entire time going through both of our product development pathways and, and forming the company and really seeing what it was going to be about, we saw this digital revolution happening. Mm. We saw wearables coming about. And now there's even, there's more health information on your wrist, in your pocket, in your phone than we could have dreamed about even a decade ago. So, you know, pedometers started maybe two decades ago and the, the time to get us to where we are today is actually very short. Um, even in the past year and a half, we thought about bringing the physical single use uh, product to market first. And we had this pandemic happen, which, you know, nobody predicted, but yeah. we saw telehealth really taking hold. And before it was a novelty. Now it's, you know, literally some practices live off of it and people are, have now embraced it because it's a great option. And we've seen that in the same way with digital offerings and smartphone applications. So the very beginning of the pandemic, we decided as a company to really focus on this smartphone application as we could get it done during social distancing and bring it to market faster um, with a use case that's, that's uh, more compelling and uh, is in line with all of the trends in the market. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, the app is free. So explain to me the pricing model. How do you monetize this? 
Sure, it'll be free for a bit. Um, there's a couple different things we can do if it um, goes viral, if you will. And I'm, I'm learning about all these things when it comes to <laughs> smartphone app marketing because I'm used to physical products. So right. uh, bear with me. Uh, the idea is we would likely do a subscription model to all of the features we have. It would likely be a flat rate at monthly and you know a bit of a volume discount if you're an annual subscription user. Our goal is to have you engaged with your health. Um, that also works for our company to keep people on board. Um, if this becomes big enough, we also have the opportunity to do um, the model wherein you have ads or no ads. So if you wanna have a free experience, that's fine. You may have ads. And we certainly have a lot of interest from companies that are interested in our technology as it's, it complements theirs. So different anemia therapies, different anemia drugs, um, different companies that are also equally as interested, but we have the key to engagement and, and tracking. So that last piece of it, it might be at some point that there's a partnership there that might recommend or, or not, I won't prescribe, but recommend or provide information on drug solutions. Am I following that correctly or not? Yeah, there. You know, we we want to make sure that we're providing as much information to our users as possible, and we're also, as I said in the beginning of the call, we're forming a biz dev department right now. So we're going through the process of understanding what users need and what the market has to offer them. Right. So if we if we find that something's wrong, it would be great if we could help connect the dots to find the ultimate solution, to find the right doctor. Maybe it's a doctor. Maybe it's a drug. Right. Um, you know, we don't we don't have our, have all of the control or all of the manpower or all of, you know, all of those business models, but it would be nice to provide information uh, to our users where it's most appropriate. And I can see where this app maybe over time becomes smarter and smarter about me and my situation and my unique condition and apply that to the recommendations or suggestions. That's right. So I hinted at it earlier that we're going to have a feature for helping the app get better specifically for you, right? So the more that the app learns about you, it's going to know your trends and it's hopefully going to become part of your routine um, so that you can have a more proactive look at your health. But absolutely, the more we learn about you, um, the better we can make the product. Yeah. All right. So but this so this strategy, which is like you mentioned, is common with the app, uh, uh, the app market where it's a uh, free and then uh, a freemium and then ads and then pay for a subscription. It's, it's challenging because it's, it's dependent on getting some kind of mass adoption of it. And so I'm assuming then the, the focus is on getting the word out there, the marketing side of things to make people aware that the app is out there. Is that fair? Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. in, the, in the seed round when we closed, we had a few very simple um, milestones we, we wanted to hit. We wanted to get a certain number of users and a certain number of people that were using the app. We also wanted to confirm what features uh, were the most important to a user. And we knew that over half of our seed money would be used towards this pilot marketing. So yeah. it's absolutely correct. You're exposed obviously now to somebody else coming along and, and copycatting it. Obviously you may have some, some patents and so forth, but nonetheless, that time to that critical mass and getting there as quickly as possible has to be an important component as well, I suspect. Yes, very much so. And you're right, even in, even in having patents with a smartphone application, from what I understand, they are difficult to enforce. So it is the most important to establish that trust with your end users and being first has its importance. Yep. 
Tell me about how this is, uh, well, it's being developed. So we're not manufacturing a physical product right now. You, you maybe had in the past, but so development, is that something that's uh, all in-house or have you subcontract po- components of that? I'm just curious as to how this got built and how it's continuing to be uh, developed. Sure. Our minimum viable product with the app was built with contract um, development and I'm pleased to say that we've now hired our own um, in-house development, and it's been wonderful seeing the code come from MVP to a sustainable build and something that we totally control in-house. So we are manufacturing in-house, and for any of our physical products, the plan is for manufacturing in the United States. Mm-hmm. When, when did, more or less, what time frame were we talking about that the first MVP was made available? Likely the... The first version of this we tested in a clinical environment. It was actually published in a paper in Nature Communications with uh, Rob Menino and myself on that publication. Um, that was probably late 2018. This okay. was the first version we, you know, tested on real patients, and looks very different from what it is today. Sure, right? yeah, There's been yeah. a lot of <laughs> user interface and, and a user experience that's been integrated in. Um, that's likely our first MVP. And like I said, we um, we publish, we try to publish all of our results. We're very data-driven. So um, peer-reviewed uh, journals is where we like to be. Mm-hmm. And so whenever we have a new product, you'll likely hear about it first in journals. <laughs> yeah. So now it's 2021 as we're talking about this. You've gone through multiple iterations, I suppose, and even pivots. And that's that's what's so certainly this type of solution lends itself to the MVP approach. But we talk a lot about it a lot on this show and the power of doing that, taking that approach, even to businesses where you might not think you could do it, you, you really can. So that's why I was curious about that. All right. I want to touch on something that, that uh, you and I chatted beforehand, which is Certainly not the thing anybody wants to talk about, but I was fascinated, as I'm sure you have been recently in particular since it's come back to light, which is the whole Theranos situation. And uh, they've been accused of falsifying test results. So you're in that similar space. And so immediately as I was doing the research, I thought, hmm, interesting. So <laughs> share with me the, the, what you share with investors and, and the consumers in the marketplace as to how you avoid that happening in your environment? Sure. I, I get this question all the time, so not surprised at all. Um, as I stated, we're, our, our, our story essentially came from um, a couple of people that finished college degrees, and we decided to take the academic spin-out route. Um, by nature of that, we are constantly connected with peer-reviewed situations. We have this uh, peer-reviewed uh, grant process. We also have it in journals that I've alluded to, and we've always been data-driven. And honestly, it's it's been a very fortunate resource that we have access to patients from very early on in development. I know that's a big hurdle for some, but we take, take full advantage of that. And we've been able to maintain our relationships with these sources. So really, it's if I say it in a nutshell, we, we have the ability to partner with clinics and get real patient data. We have the experience and it's it's ingrained in our systems to report the data. It also helps for great PR to have real publications out there. Um, and we've also gone through the FDA process. I've you know, crossed paths with a few FDA colleagues and we're continually uh, reviewing the regulatory space for every product we put out. Um, 
by nature of our company, we are in a wellness and diagnostic space. So we are striking that balance between wellness tool and regulated medical device all the time. And so I can be transparent about that. It's, it's something we continually put effort into in our company. So while I do find the Theranos story very interesting, I think by nature of how we were founded and the um, initial endeavors we had, we were very different. I don't have a lot of experience with grants, certainly mm-hmm. with private seed money. And that's, you know, if I, if I understood it correctly with a company like Theranos, a lot of it was, if not all of it was private. So there the scrutiny is, you know, is subjective. Sometimes there is no scrutiny. It's just they've bought into a, a charismatic leader or founder. Is the process different with a grant? I think you're alluding to that as far as what they do to validate the work that's being done. Tell me a little bit about that. Right. So grants from all the way from local, state, and national entities and, and agencies are typically put through a review process. And it's uh, you, you submit data. Um, oftentimes, if you have a peer-reviewed journal, that's viewed as a plus. So it's part of the whole uh, reason we've been so successful at getting grants is we understand some of the things that work in this process. Um, and that's that's typically the gold, right? So you have a study that's done under institutional review board, you have all your T's crossed and I's dotted, and you are able to showcase the data that is um, as, mo- as objective as it can be. Um, they also talk about how you're getting to market. They talk about what you're gonna use the funding for. So with a grant, you outline every single dollar and and where it's going to go. And that does pose some challenges, right? So there are pros and cons to grant funding and it's typically linked to development work um, and not necessarily marketing or legal, for example. But it's it's very helpful and in reinforcing that um, the data and development does need to be at the forefront. So that that process involves review and uh, several rounds of review, including budget review, where they look through everything. Um, and it's only until after that, that you are awarded a grant. I see. Got it. Okay, good. Let's move on. We can talk about that topic forever because it's fast. The reason that it fascinates me so much is what it represents in business. Like I, I read that story also most recently, the WeWork story. What fascinates me in business is what can happen with a very charismatic leader or founder which is often what it takes to be successful as an entrepreneur in this, and especially in this arena. And then the hubris of that mentality that we've been taught to bring to business, which is we will succeed at all costs, right? If the the naysayers uh, be damned, we are going to make this happen. And I think that that can fuel sometimes then making, taking shortcuts or making bad decisions. And that's why it fascinates me so much, this, this whole topic. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine the pressure that you're under to get to those numbers that you need to be at in downloads and in user count. There's a lot of pressure there that's on you as a, as a founder and as a, as a company, right? There's, there's always pressure, right? And you're, you're a business at the end of the day. So you do want to um, succeed. But I think if you develop a product that works and has science behind it, people will want it. And it's certainly what we're experiencing now in the early stages of this launch and even pre-launch in that um, people clamoring for this, they know about our publications. They know that we've worked with um, some of the best technical and scientific experts. So it's, uh, you know, build, build a good product and, and they will come. Yeah. All right. I want to chat a little bit about the way we got connected, which was through your involvement in XRC labs and 
Amanda Hodge over there who I've worked with for quite some time. She's great at helping me connect with people like yourself. And so the question I have for you is how, what role did that play being part of the XRC labs? I, you might've been part of the accelerator program, but you'll explain in a moment. So tell me about that, that experience and what it did to help you with uh, growing the business. XRC was very valuable at the right time for us. We, I, I know that the, the whole package included many, many, many different things and we took advantage of them, but the biggest thing was networking and maybe this is cliche to say, but who you know is very important. Uh, to date before XRC, we hadn't uh, made too many connections with New York. And what we were able to gather from there was a few new ways of thinking, you know, in honing in on a direct to consumer approach. Uh, it's something that they know very, very well. So coming from, again, biomedical engineering and a medical background, and as you alluded to earlier, the typical traditional model is Salesforce, here's your physical product. Maybe there's a rental model or some sort of volume agreement and then be on your merry way. But when you are trying to bring something like that um, in an accessible format, direct to consumer, uh, many other medical funds and, and people that work with medical products shy away. It's, it's very different. And so it was nice to get all of the connections within people that had successfully um, had that critical mass, right? Or achieved that over a certain amount of time and how to do it. You know, what are, what are the keys to really connecting with these people? So while everything they had to offer as far as branding and, you know, the, the, the work sessions that we had, um, the networking we had was very, very key. Um, in fact, our seed investment round was led by an investor that was connected through with me through XRC. So yeah. it, you know, definitely um, paid off in spades and we're very grateful and we keep them involved in everything we do. Yeah. Tremendous value. And I, I hear that with others that I've spoken to that have been part of XRC labs, part of their accelerator programs or whatever other program that, that, you know, that that's one of the reasons I I've asked questions about it and you've mentioned it in my observation personally, and people that I've had the opportunity to interview that networking, those connections that you make, Obviously, you touched on it because from day one, maybe you don't even launch this business if it wasn't for that connection with Wilbur and then with Rob, that networking. I think that sometimes as entrepreneurs, you don't come from the traditional path to entrepreneurship necessarily, but we can get isolated. We can develop this attitude that I've got it. I've got the knowledge. I don't need anybody's help, but it's so powerful to get those connections. And that's, again, one of the key things that even as much as you were connected in a certain space, XRC Labs helped you get connected and yet another arena that helped with growing the business. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. And I think it goes with a little bit of my, my personal mantra and approach to this as well. I'm happy to be taught something every day. I'm happy to listen to someone and hear their point of view and expand that horizon. I, you know, knowing everything is boring, right? So... You, you are, you've always been, as we said at the outset, uh, curious, a student, wanting to learn. I think that's got to be why you excelled in that academic environment. And I got to think that's one of the reasons you are successful as an entrepreneur now. Mm -hmm. Yep, I, I would agree. Asking questions, being open to learning, being open to failure. You know, you, you alert, alluded to um, 
success always being in the back of your mind. I think also learning things scientifically, what works, what doesn't work is also just as valuable. I imagine as we embark on this journey and acquire users, right, we're going to learn what they like, what they don't like. And that's okay, right? At the end of the day, you're you're working for them. You're working for a product that works for people to make it better. And it's you should be welcoming to that um, to that experience. That's such a huge point because we all hear that and know that, that we need to fail and fail fast and all that. But the reality is that for most of us, we still hate every part of it. You though learned, and uh, for lack of a better word, were indoctrinated in that scientific process where that is how you do that, right? In a lab, as you're doing research, Mm -hmm. you brought that then forward to the MVP approach, which made sense, obviously, to developing this latest solution, the, the Anemo check app. Uh, but that's how you think about business. And that's a tremendous advantage, I think, that you have that other entrepreneurs do not have. Well, thank you. I, uh, I, enjoy, I enjoy learning and I enjoy um, learning from failure. You can, you can learn very well from that. Yeah, you're not afraid to fail. And that's the thing. <laughs> but the thing is, with the, the thing that people don't get is that that's why the MVP approach is so important, because if you fail after you've spent five years developing an app and spending a million dollars, that's a big deal. If you fail after the first MVP back in 2018, that's what's supposed to happen. You take that feedback and adjust and reiterate. And that's how you develop this solution that you have now. Right. It's very right. common in the scientific space to iterate and iterate and iterate. And you, that's know, right. you hear about Thomas Edison who did this. So uh, I guess he's one of my mentors. <laughs> Yeah, I just watched a fascinating documentary about him on uh, on Prime, on Amazon Prime, about that process. And mm-hmm. it is amazing. It's inspirational. All right, let's start to wrap it up here. Thanks for indulging all these questions. What What's next for Sanguina? And especially, I want to ask you from this perspective, you know, you've touched on it. It's so It's so exciting to be in this space, I have to imagine, because of how rapidly technology is evolving. What are you most excited about? even if it's not directly related to your product that's coming, that's going to help in this arena of self-diagnosis, wellness checking. I mean, you touched on, for example, COVID, one of the silver linings is the people, a lot of people who were scared of telehealth now have embraced it. And so that, that was a silver lining. What do you see that's coming that you're excited about in this arena? I think it's expansion of health and wellness as part of your health right? So health to me is wellness and also illness. And as I said earlier, just focusing on the illness part is unsustainable, unpleasant, and usually leads to worse outcomes. So there needs to be this balance on understanding where you are and and how you feel and really optimizing your life. We're only here for a short amount of time, making it as as good as it can be is, is valuable. And, you know, it'll also help the whole system right? It'll, it'll take burden off the healthcare system and, you know, hopefully just provide a better experience throughout the lifetime. So that that's a very high level look, but there are technologies that are coming out that are going to help shape this, uh, this revolution, if you will, for um, digital and consumer driven healthcare. Yeah. And I, I can see that it is a revolution, you know, apps like yours, amino check and technology is really going to allow us to make this mind shift as, as humans, that we don't just go to the doctor when we're sick, we actually have now the ability to stay well with all Mm -hmm. of this technology, right? That's right. All right, excellent stuff. All right, we're gonna start to wrap it up in essence of time here. Uh, So we've mentioned the free app, just tell me again where I can find it and where you want people to go 
to learn more about it? Sure. You can learn anything about what we're doing, any updates um, in the pipeline at www.sanguina.com. You can connect with our socials there. Um, we are going to be active. We want to be engaging. So please um, talk to us. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you'd like. And the app itself should be available on the app stores. Just visit them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When you when you're listening to this episode, it's available on the app stores, which is fantastic. Yeah. All right, let's summarize it here uh, as best we can. What's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation that we had about, in particular, from the perspective of that entrepreneurship journey that you've had here? I mean, as, as I take pause and think back at it, this this has been a journey. You you started developing this idea in school, went through various processes there. The first MV, you had a, an initial physical product then pivoted to this app now that the first MVP was in 2018. So that's a lot of time that you've invested there. What's one thing you want to stick away about this conversation we had about that journey? Specifically with the entrepreneurial journey, there's no rules, just right. I think that might be trademarked by Outpack Steakhouse, perhaps, but <laughs> no rules, just right. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, no, there, there are really no rules in, in a, in a startup. There's no one set of, um, you know, one Bible to follow to, for your specific entrepreneurial journey. And I know it's very, very difficult and daunting to hear from many different people that have had successful businesses and, and some that haven't, um, but things do change, right? The pandemic certainly changed a lot of things for us. MySpace specifically in the last decade, we've seen it take a complete 180. Um, one thing that I always talk about is the, the timing and, and funding and having the great team and the great idea can also not be sufficient, right? It's, it's putting all of those things together and really being adaptable with the situation at hand in order to find an opportunity for success. And if you're passionate about it, it is a lot easier. So for all the entrepreneurs listening, that's one thing. And then um, for anyone wanting to learn about our company, the one thing you should take away is that Sanguina is a wellness tool and diagnostic company. We're aiming to provide access um, to simple health and wellness tools for a number of different applications. Anemia is our first platform. So we hope you'll engage with AnemoCheck Mobile and the other AnemoCheck products that come to follow. And we hope to make your life better and easier. So thank you. Absolutely. And tell me again where you want us to go online to learn more. Sanguina.com. It's www.sanguina.com. And spell Sanguina for us. Oh, that would make sense. <laughs> www.sanguina.com. Perfect. We'll have that link on the show notes page for this episode as well at thehowabusiness.com. Erica, great conversation. Thanks for indulging all of my questions and going over our allotted time here. Uh, this has been a, a great, great uh, journey to, to go through and a lot to learn and take away. Thanks for taking the time to be with me today. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today, again, was Erica Tybersky. And we release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.